Hey, welcome to the Wildscast. I just had an amazing conversation with Betty Golko, who is a psychologist. She's a therapist who's worked with teens on self-esteem. She's worked with autistic children. But what she's figured out, and I think really can be very helpful with, is how to deal with anxiety and depression, which is really a major issue in our society today. She also got an amazing following on Instagram. So we discussed at length how to navigate some of the self-esteem, I'm not good enough issues that come out of getting sucked into people's Instagram feeds and the like. What is the best way to help a friend who's going through a difficult time? And how can we take adversity? This woman has gone through real adversity and she's figured out a way of using it for, for the betterment of her own development and the people around her. Take a listen. And if you like the Wildscast, and please subscribe. Okay, welcome to the Wildscast. We have Betty Golko, who is an amazing therapist who's worked with autistic children. She mentors teens on self-esteem. She's got an unbelievable blog, suchabetty.com. She's a fashion stylist and consultant. Thank you so much for coming on the Wildcast, Betty. Yes, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to meet you and be a part of this incredible cause. I love everything you share already, so I'm excited to chat with you. Awesome. So let's get right into it. You you do amazing work helping young women find resilience and confidence to overcoming their challenges in life. Um, you know, there's a beautiful teaching, the Hafta Lorecha Kamocha, very famous, to love your neighbor as yourself from the Torah, implying that you're supposed to love and help yourself before you can do that for others. Was that something that came easy to you? Are you able to help others because you have that? sense of self? Yes, of course. Listen, there's such a concept as being aware of who you are, knowing who you are, knowing where you came from, and how you maneuver through each day. So I think that a lot of times people tend to think they know it all and they want to just give and give and that's beautiful. But until you've really gone through yourself, you know, deep dived into who you are and kind of what makes you tick and taking it all the way back, you really can't be present for another person. For myself, it took a long journey to get to where I am today. And I'm still working on that journey. Growing up in Memphis, Tennessee was certainly a very challenging life to say the least. And all of those things maneuver myself to where I am today. And I had to take a step back and think, okay, who am I? What is Betty? Who is she? What is she going to become? What does she want to give to the world? And that's taken a lot of different uh, spots throughout my life, but Mm -hmm. we'll dive into that. Well, so let's dive into that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Can you, you share with us a little, you have a bit of an unusual childhood bouncing from foster home to foster home. I mean, how, how, what was that like? And, um, how has that built you into the person you've become? Yeah, I mean, listen, it was not easy to say the least. I am the oldest of two younger siblings, and I really took on the role of a mother, a caretaker right away at a very young age to the point where I was kind of dealing with the household chores and dealing with everything going on between school and homework and whatever that might be. And you know, stability is a big component to one's upbringing. And that was something that was lacking in addition to other challenging things such as 
abuse and financial difficulties and moving in and out of different homes, like you mentioned. So it was not a place where any young child can really take a step and enjoy and just have that freedom to explore. So it was a place where I didn't even fully comprehend many of these things until I was older and until I developed and I decided, how am I going to use this for good? How am I going to shift my mindset and create and build a career and a life and a home? And now I'm a mom and I am a wife and it's, it's you know, I'm not perfect and there's still things. And I think it's fascinating that people expect each one of ourselves to be perfect. And no matter what type of life you grew up with, good and or bad or challenging, you have an opportunity to choose how am I going to interpret this and what am I going to make and how am I going to dissect? How is that affecting me and how can I move forward? That's such a fundamental Jewish teaching. You said that so beautifully, you know, because we're not in control of the deck of cards that were dealt. Uh, the only thing, you know, Rabbi Salvatric taught this, one of the great rabbis and luminaries of the 20th century, that we don't, you know, we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose, and you, you just said it, how we interpret it, how we assimilate those experiences into who we become. You know, I, I'm curious, just to go back to your childhood a little, was having to take care of two younger siblings at such a younger young age, was there anything positive about that? I often wonder whether or not our kids today are not given some kind of responsibility and whether they're they're robbed of that. You know, like in Israel, at the age of 18, they gotta they gotta serve, whether they like it or not. You know, at age 18 here in the United States, people go off to party on college campus. Was there anything right. positive about that? That's such an interesting perspective. Um listen, there's always good and bad with everything. And it's kind of what level of the good and bad is it? And how does that affect you? Because we found studies, right, where you could find twins in a home and they're separated and they have two totally different experiences growing up. And we're curious, we're, we're want to dissect that. How do, how do they react and behave moving forward in their lives? So for that, yes, of course, there was definitely positivity, which means that I was able to be mature and understand kind of life challenges and already have an idea of where and what it takes to accomplish, you know, determination, resiliency, like you mentioned earlier, is a, is a factor that's just a part of me. Now, is it nature versus nurture? We could dissect that. I don't know. But there is a piece to me that is just a go-getter, a hustler. I, I know what I want. I make it happen. Um, and yeah, that is some part of me that's just from Hashem, that Hashem gave me this strength. But I think also because of my upbringing, having to um, be very responsible at a young age, it put me in a position to handle things. Right. And I think that sometimes, like you mentioned, children or young teens, as they're growing up and developing, they kind of just don't have that wherewithal to just handle even the simplest of things. And it might not be their fault, but it's kind of very fascinating that in a time like now where we have so much available and it's beautiful and we can, you know, grow and look, we're connecting like this so simply and easily. I would have never had an opportunity to meet you if it wasn't for technology. 
but unfortunately it leaves the children at such a disadvantage where they're stuck not knowing how to help themselves yeah. naturally. What, what do you think? What would you tell parents? I mean, most of the people listening to this, you know, it will come to MJE our 20s and 30s. But like, what would you tell parents or or even someone already fully formed <laughs> what they could do? Um, you know, they call this the snowflake generation that we've protected our children. Everybody gets a trophy. And there's no losers. Um, and um, it doesn't develop the kind of resilience or self-esteem, interestingly, you know, because as a parent, I will tell you, I'm such a wuss. I had the hardest time when my kids were younger saying no. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to cushion them. One of my kids wanted to do this and he couldn't get into the, this program. And I, you want to pull strings for them. And if the parents don't hold back and the kids don't have those experiences, how are they supposed to develop, as you said, resilience? Because you have a lot of that. Right. You know, I don't know if there's anything in, in particular. And, and do you think that, that that's one of the root causes for all the self-esteem issues that we see in our generation? Gosh, I mean, whew, you know how to go right <laughs> for the good parts. I don't think there's ever any one particular point to any topic. I think that it's really dependent on so many circumstances. Um, however, as a parent, I'm, I'm also a parent, and I understand what you're saying. We just want our children to be loved, happy, safe, um, exploring and learning and growing. But if you think about it, right, when your child is learning how to ride a bike, we want to ride alongside them and stand right next to them and hold the gear for them and make sure they don't fall. We don't want them to fall and get damaged. But fascinatingly enough, the moment when they do fall, is the moment that they actually hop, they actually realize, oh, right. this is what you mean by balance. This is what you mean by riding the bike. I understand now. So sometimes we kind of have to let our children fall within obviously reason in order to understand and grow and let their mind kind of in their own way, in their own level, learn and understand how to accomplish and yeah. maneuver through failure. Because let's be real, life is going to give you lots of quote unquote failures and challenges that we as parents can't control. And in my mind, at least for parenting, it's the, one of the goals is to provide them with the tools necessary to accomplish adult adulthood. Adulthood. And, and, and let, let's talk now to an adult, you know, to someone who's already, you know, 25, 35-year-old young Jewish professional living in the city, and they've had some sort of difficult, you know, experience in their childhood. It could have been a trauma. It could just been an ongoing, I don't know, parents were divorced at a young age or even when they were adolescents, and that caused an issue. How do you, you're someone who successfully took challenges in your childhood and used them to help other people. What would you tell such a person? Let's say who was traumatized on some level by their parents' divorce or some other difficult type of situation in their life, um, maybe social anxiety, um, maybe bullying, whatever it is, they were the victim of something. Um, what would you tell that person that could help them actually grow You know, at this stage in life? Happened 10, 15 years ago, maybe. 
A hundred percent. And unfortunately, in life, we are going to all go through something that we may feel is a trauma. And trauma is a kind of a, a you know, key word right now. But it really just means something that's really affected us on such a level that it's hard to move forward. It's hard to maneuver in whatever capacity that trauma stems from. So first and foremost, what I always really emphasize and focus in is talking about that trauma, talking about that moment. What is your memory? Feeling and knowing how your body is responding. How does it make you feel? Using vocabulary of understanding and talking it out of the feelings. What is your body motion and movements doing when you experience, you know, a memory of this moment? And how does it carry on in your day-to-day life? Are you able to maneuver with the relationships? Are you able to, you know, hold a job, et cetera? And we really just break down the different steps of how it occurred, what's the consequence, how are you reacting day to day? And then we maneuver to the next step. So it's kind of, it's not just a one quick fix and it's a lifelong journey, like I even said for myself, but You have to go through stages and you have to be willing and ready to first and foremost accept whatever it was that happened. Accept it. I'm not saying be happy about it. I'm not saying think that it's okay, but accept this is what happened and let's now figure out how we can move forward. Yeah, thank you. That's really helpful. So it's like the most basic thing is to be aware of it, talk about it, um, accept it as part of your reality. And then little by little, you're saying you can eventually, it could help build you. You know, they, what's that terrible expression? What won't kill you will, I don't know, make you stronger, make you, stronger you know, uh, you know, I would never say that to someone while they're going through the exactly. experience themselves, but you know, but let's go back to something we touched on earlier. Um, yeah. Anxiety and depression have soared. Um, a lot of different groups amongst specifically adolescent girls since the 2010s. Um, John Haidt attributes this phenomenon to the rise of social media. Now, I don't know if you agree with that. You don't agree with that. You're an interesting position because you're someone who helps young women with their self-esteem adolescence. And at the same time, you're a, a, a social media influencer with tens of thousands of followers. So how do you balance that? And, and, you know, and tell us how this affects how you post also. <sighs> deep breaths, deep breaths, <laughs> lots and lots of deep breaths. Um, I actually personally agree. I agree. And it's just like I mentioned before, with everything positive and with growth and development in the world, there's going to be some sort of consequence and negative. But you agree, definitely... I'm sorry, Betty, you agree that social media is at, is one of the, causes for a lot of the anxiety and depression that uh, adolescent girls, I mean, it's boys too. Yes, Mm -hmm. I do. And I wouldn't necessarily say specifically only social media, if you would, but any of the, you know, online things, whether that be TV and on all the things. Um, So I think that it's okay. Children and adolescents and young adults are very fragile. I am already a grown woman, but I'm still fragile. 
because we are so easily influenced by what we hear, by what we see, and by who we're surrounding with. So social media is such a popular and easy thing that we can always 24-7 be have access to. With that being said, you cannot expect anyone to have zero and you have to understand how it is affecting you. The problem is most people don't or they're in denial or they think, oh, well, I'm just on for 15 minutes a day or they say, I'm just following such and such and such person. But by nature, humans are judgmental. Humans are jealous. Humans are not developed in themselves and prepared to be able to handle the outside influences. And this could go for magazines too. This is, this mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. It's not only social media. Right. It's anything that we read and do and talk about. So with now, we have an opportunity to choose very, very delicately how and when and what we're posting and talking about. And I have had a whole slew of ups and downs with this mm -hmm. um, for myself because I, I feel that as an influencer, if you want to call it that space, the usual go-to is sharing and talking about what you have, mm -hmm. what you're doing. And that's fine. I understand that. But it comes with the cost. It comes with the cost of pressure to have and be doing 24-7. Mm -hmm. and, to, and to be showing it, comes... it and to be, de you know, displaying it for the world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of pressure from the other side. What I'm watching and what I'm seeing makes me feel I need and want and should have. When all we have to focus on is being grateful and have gratitude. But how could we be grateful and have gratitude when we're watching what everyone has and thinking we need it? So like you asked about balance, I can't give an answer for anyone about anything because each individual is different. But there are so many tricks and tools and things that you could do. For one, for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You try to implement and post Torah, learning, positivity, growth. And I have shifted into that focus. I as see well. that. So I see that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I applaud you for that because it's tempting, you know, to get more likes. We all know what will get more likes. And you, you have to kind of like balance that because, you know, there's this pressure for anyone. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm on a much smaller level, um, but anybody wants to get more likes and, you know, but um, so that's from the poster perspective. That's like maybe from our perspective. What about the kid or the 25 year old? I don't know, person who's getting sucked into their Instagram feed at two in the morning and they're just wasting time and it's it's depressing them. It's it's not just a waste of time. They're they're just like by the time they put the phone down because they're so tired, they're blurry eyed from watching all this nonsense. They're they're just upset. They're sad and they and they go to sleep upset. Um uh, what, what? yeah, it's it's an addiction for sure. And I think that what I would say is, first and foremost, like I mentioned earlier, is being self-aware. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling like this, so I would say, for example, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night and here I am. I found myself scrolling uncontrollably. My eyes, like you said, are blurry. I don't even have any self-awareness that I'm doing it, which is an addiction. I'm just without any mind doing it. 
so let's say the next day I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling very depressed today. I'm feeling very down, groggy. I have no energy. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Who am I? What was mine? So what I would suggest is you to take out a journal, take out a notebook, write it down, start notating when you feel this way, what's the feeling? And what happened prior? Mm. So if you wake up and the moment you wake up, I don't know, it's seven o'clock in the morning and you're already feeling like this, you're going to notate this for a week and you're going to start to see the pattern. What's the pattern? Maybe it's my scrolling at night and you need to change that. So we need to build new habits. For example, no scrolling, no social media past eight o'clock at night. Wow. Period. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. end. And start to rebuild your habit and your mind. Read a book, listen to a podcast, have relaxing music, something else that's going to put you in a position of self-awareness. We are walking like robots. Nobody has any clue who and what they're doing. And that's what I would start off that's with. That's amazing. I, I love what you just said. Put it down and start to journal or read a book. Listen, I'm just reiterating what you said because I want the I, I want our listeners to hear this. I think this is really important to um, be aware of what's happening and to break the cycle by doing something different and realistic things. Listening to a podcast, you know, podcasts are so they're incredible. There's so many besides this one. So you know, um, they're just so there's so much information and inspiration and positivity and substance and content out there today, like never before, you know, and books like, that's amazing. I I was going to add something also, if you don't mind. I I, I saw a very disturbing, I have to find it. It was a documentary. I don't know if it was about Facebook or Instagram in particular, but it was really getting into the mindset of some of the people, very smart people who are designing these feeds and what goes into the feeds and what gets... What gets sent to your, you know, on your feed, um, right? And it's very much. Uh, I think if we're aware that there was some thought, it didn't just randomly appear on my feed, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But that this was part of a concerted effort to get me sucked in, so that I can, someone can advertise a product because that's how money is made. And I exactly. Yeah, I, I just think if we're aware of that. That this didn't happen haphazardly. This this was an intentional, you know. And I'm not saying the people behind this are evil for doing this, but I think if the person scrolling around knows that somebody is trying to suck them in, and this is what does it, I think that's incredibly helpful, um, you know. And um, what what do you find is the best approach, or the worst approach to uh, when trying to help someone who's going through a rough s- spell in their life? Uh, let's say they just got dumped, um, they lost their job, something circumstantially doesn't go right in their life. Uh, what, what, what's the best approach? Yeah, I love that question, you know, because even as myself, we all need companionship and we all need friendships and we all need positive relationships, whether that be a neighbor, a friend, an old friend, an in-law, you know, anybody. And sometimes we're just at a loss. We don't know what to say, what to do. It's, it's maybe it's awkward, but what I found is so, so helpful is just letting that person know you are there. 
you are there, period. You don't need to tell them what to do, when to do, give them directions, tell them how they should be doing it. Um, it's just saying, I'm here for you. Beautiful. I'm here for you when you're ready. And check in, daily check-ins. How's your day going? What are you up to today? I think it's the connection that people are missing. And I could attribute that back to the social media topic as well. Um, but when you're in a moment of despair, worry, you know, sadness, you feel so alone. You feel, it literally feels like it's this craziest thing in the entire world and you're the only person and no one else could possibly understand you. And while that might be true in some, you know, parts to that, overall it's, it's not. And we can all sort of relate in some sort of way. And when you reach out to the person, you say, I'm here for you. Call me. I'm going to call you tomorrow. You want to go on a walk. That makes them feel like, oh, okay, maybe my life isn't that bad. And it may take time, but that person has to be ready to open up and to mm -hmm. share. So when they're there and they're ready, they know they can count on Beautiful. you. Hey, by the way, the very famous verse, three words, emo. Anochi bitsara, I am with you in your distress. And for problem solvers like me, it's sometimes it's very challenging for me to keep my mouth shut and to just literally be there to hold the person's hand and to say nothing. Just I'm here. The person's not looking necessarily for a solution; they're looking for a friend. Um, and um, I, I just it's such a fundamental Jewish teaching. It's beautiful. And something that came to mind also is what I like to say, I make it very clear. I say, would you like me to just listen or would you like some feedback? Because first of all, sometimes, again, they're just speaking. They don't even realize maybe they're just venting. And then it gets them to think, oh, you know what? What do I really need, actually? And it, it opens up the door for them to also have a little bit more self-awareness. Yeah, you know, you said something else, which is, I think, um, a fundamental um, sort of psychological condition. When we go through difficult um, moments in our lives, we feel alone, like no one can understand what I'm going through. And it's one of the reasons why <clears throat> when we visit, let's say, a mourner, who, God forbid, has lost one of the seven close relatives. So what does Jewish tradition prescribe? We, What do we say? There's this one line. We say, that God should comfort you, because we believe the ultimate comfort comes from God. Amongst all the other mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. And I always wondered, like, okay, the temple destruction, and we're all mourning for Jerusalem. What does that have to do with this guy who just lost his parent, God forbid, or sibling? Because what you're doing is you're putting that person and, and you're saying to that person, I know you feel alone, but we all are mourning something and we are, and, and I feel your pain because I'm, you know, it's very hard to feel someone else is feeling your pain when you don't think they've gone through it. Right. But if, if, um, if you can say, listen, I have some sense of what you're going through, you know, um, there was a story actually of, um, I'm going to blank on the rabbi's name, but um, he lost a son in the, um, who fought uh, for the IDF. His son was killed in one of the operations. 
and he had a very, very difficult time until another rabbi, rabbinic colleague of his, this is many, many years ago, who had lost a child in the Shoah, in the Holocaust, came to visit him. And he said, until you came, I didn't feel a sense of comfort because nobody else here has, has been through this. To lose a child, you can't even, you know. And um, I think what we're trying to do is make the other person feel like we're feeling a little of their pain. And maybe also going back to what we said before, that's maybe one way of using a trauma that we've experienced. Like after my mother passed away many years ago, when I pay a shiva call, I feel since her passing that I can, that I've been able to be much more helpful to other people who are going through it. And I can communicate that a little. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's really a, a, a huge part of our growth. What do I mean is sometimes we're still stuck on being upset or being angry, or having resentment towards something that happened. But once you feel like, again, back to acceptance, you could still be sad, and it's very important to be sad, of course, but the acceptance of it, then you can utilize that, like you said, for good, to have empathy, to really put yourself in that feeling and emotion that other person might be having at that exact time. And that's the beauty of relationships and developing and showing and sharing when it's appropriate, what you've gone through. So that way people can look to you in a much deeper way. It's not always about fluff and the pictures and of this and of that, because at the end of the day, we just want to connect. We want to feel like we're heard and we want to feel like we have an opportunity just like everybody else. And something that I want to add to that point is for me, myself, Betty, I really did not believe at all. I did not understand and think at all, zero, that I had any opportunity, let alone all of the amazing opportunities that I've had and that I currently have and God willing will continue to have. And it took a time in my place where I said, I want change. And that is only something that that individual can do. No one could tell them. No one could talk to them. It's up to them. So, with that being said, it took a lot of work and I, I pushed forward and I did what I had to do. I fundraised. I made sure to have a job. I was always working and, you know, taking extra courses. I wanted to always learn. I had a thirst for Judaism. It was so important for me to hold on to my Judaism and my religion. Um, and, and that we could just say, maybe that was just Menashe Mayim. But, and I went to Israel for two years and I studied and I decided, I said, I want to take on more things because I feel that there's a spiritual yearning. So what, what's okay. Let's stay on that for a minute, if that's okay. I'm so curious yes. about how did you come to becoming, to become observant, uh, despite, you know, the, the background, the difficult childhood and all that. H how did that happen? Yeah. So throughout my upbringing, like we mentioned before, it was a very, difficult place to be and I was in and out of different foster homes and foster care until at one point I came more into the Jewish community in Memphis Tennessee and I went to the Jewish day school mm -hmm. so at that point I was around Jewish life I was surrounded by Jewish education so of course that is a huge component to me kind of having this awareness sure. um so 
I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I really don't know. It was just something inside me that was always like, I knew I wanted to marry a Jewish man. I knew I wanted a Jewish life. What did that mean? I had no idea. But even if I wasn't keeping all of the rules, and I'm not perfect now either, but I still felt that this was the direction that I wanted to go in. And with that being said, that was when and how I raised money to go to Israel because that was the only way it was going to happen. Money so yes. you yourself could, wow, love that. Yes. There was, there was no other way. Me staying in Memphis uh, after high school and And this is how old, was how, not how old were you at the time? I was, I guess, probably 17. Mm -hmm. And where, where did, yeah. you, did you know where you wanted to study at that age? I mean, that's pretty... I mean, I, most, I just, you know, my daughter is 18 and she's going off, please God, to Israel next year. But she's been on that trajectory a whole life. This is something that you chose yourself, right? So, I mean, did you have friends going off to, to, to seminary or? Yeah, a lot of girls were going and a lot of guys were going to yeshiva. But, I mean, of course, I had guidance and the principal at the time, she was very involved. Everyone was very involved in my mm -hmm. life. So, uh, for good and bad. Um, so, you know, they kind of had some some um, voice in that. And I really just picked a school that I felt was closest to kind of my style, which was a very modern, um, mm -hmm. you know, orthodox. It's Mahon sure. Gold. Oh, my gosh. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That was a biggie. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah, it was, I think, the first women's. Yeah. Day, How long so. ago did that close? Oh, gosh. Um I'm not sure. It was sure. very, it, it was very popular. Ago. I remember. Yeah. 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 So I just chose that because I felt like it was kind of, a, you know, closest to my mm -hmm. style, if you would. So I spent a year there and then I felt that really, honestly, that year was my first time away, like fully and completely away. Like you can't call me, <laughs> <laughs> you can't find me and tell me about whatever's going on. So it took me a very long time to adjust and then to begin kind of this learning process. So I chose to go back to Israel, to Neve Yerushalayim for a second wow, year. Beautiful. I know Neve, sure. And then what happened afterwards? Yeah. So you spent a year in Machlon Gold and then a year in Neve, um, and um, which is kind of uh, rare for in the women department. It's pretty par for the course for guys these days, but uh, there are not as many women that stay on for a second year. Did you uh, have any Israel thoughts remaining there? I love Israel. I'm obsessed with Israel. I want to go there every other month if I could. Personally, making Aliyah, mm -hmm. it's, I'm very I'm very American, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, I've been back many mm -hmm. times. It's a very beautiful blessing to be able to do that. And uh, we hope to make it there for Sukkot coming up. But, um, yeah, Israel is just is very special. Uh, tell, tell me um, if there's a uh, – uh, this has all been Torah as far as I'm concerned, the whole conversation. Um, do you have a favorite Torah teaching that you uh, apply to your life or share with others uh, to help people, you know, give people strength for resilience and pushing through obstacles? Yeah. So something that I like to say often, and that's primarily because of everything that we've kind of shared so far, which is there is a purpose and there is a goal and Hashem is 
putting you in the right place at the right time. I don't know how, how we're going to say that in a Hebrew, but maybe you can help me out there. Well, I'll tell you, the, the Ramchal, Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Rutsato, in his famous work, he was a great um, Kabbalist, uh, lived in the uh, 1700s. He wrote a book called Derech Hashem, The Way of God, and he wrote very much along what you just said, that uh, every person's life predicament is their challenge because that's what their soul needs in order to be perfected in whatever way that it needs. And that we are placed in a certain environment subject to certain circumstances and conditions in life because that's what we need to get to the next place spiritually. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a, like a cute little Hebrew <laughs> phrase for it. We'll find it. We'll but find it's it. a, it's a very profound teaching because what it does is it allows us to not just see that situation as like, Oh, got to get through this. What a pain, but no, that's what I need to grow. Exactly. And I love that because that, Again, this only comes, guys, this only comes from change in habit and awareness. I'm not perfect. Don't don't quote me. <laughs> you see me in a bad mood. But with practice, you will get there little by little. The ability to take each moment and say, deep breath. Let me think. Let me focus. This moment is a challenge that I can overcome for the good because there is something that's going to happen. It might not be right away, but long, long, long away. That's and, very important. By the yeah, way, that's, just, that's very important feel, yeah. because I think we often view these things as just negative things. We got to just get out of the way because we don't see any kind of how's this improving me? How's this making me better? How's this making me a better person, a better Jew, a better, but it's a long, you got to take the long term approach. You know, I'll give you an example. He says, the Ramchal gives an example. He says that poor people are challenged to see if they can become satisfied with their lot. Rich people are challenged, he says, to see whether or not they will, God forbid, become indifferent to the plight of the poor. Every person's life predicament, he writes, is given to that individual. And that's why comparing ourselves to other people is, is fruitless. And it's, it's nonsense because my soul is different than your soul. I have different needs and I have, I have to go through A, B and C to get, because I'm trying to get, you know, I have different challenges than you. And therefore I need a different set of circumstances in life than somebody else. And, um, I, I just think, I, I think that's a very, very positive. Um, now I don't necessarily recommend, and I'm sure you don't do this as a therapist, tell this to the person while they're going through the terrible the, right i mean i think we we go right. we go yeah. back to imo anochi bitsara i'm with you in your pain i'm here and i love the way you said that before mm -hmm. ask the person hey you know would do you want some constructive you know feedback right. or do you just want me to be here and listen uh, i thought that was very helpful yes. what you said um so i think I, yes, yeah please yeah, no, no, I love it. I think that it's it's only until after we've kind of gotten past a certain moment do we say, oh, hmm, do you remember when that happened and did you, this was in the middle and that was at the end and now here? And it's kind of this funny thing, but if we just remember 
<laughs> that other story, that other moment, how it turned out. Now, by the way, this doesn't always mean that it's meant to be perfect and good and rainbows. It means sometimes the ending is not so nice, but that's what we define from that not so nice ending, right? And how are we going to use it to change our lives? But by the way, I have so much to say. The comparison thing is so hard because I know that I have my journey and you have your journey and you know so-and-so has theirs. But when we are looking at the external, and that goes back to kind of getting caught up in, in that whole yeah. world. To have what, what we have and displaying what we have. So what, what do we do? I, I, you know, it's it just, I just feel like it's, it's, and you use the term, you know, I'm not enough. I'm just, and I just, I feel like that, that uh, I've experienced this myself. Yeah. You know, and I and I I talk to my students about this, you know, mostly 20s, 30s, just just feeling just not good enough about themselves to ultimately accomplish their goals because we're spending so much time looking at everybody else, what they have, what they do. Exactly. I don't know. I, I would love I don't exactly. know if you, it sounds like a joke, but wouldn't it be great if we could no. have like a failure posting site where all we did was post all the bad Nobody would do it because it's just I. No, I have an idea. I have an I have an idea. Yeah. Are you ready? We could start it. We could start a whole campaign where we hashtag what I failed at this week. But the point isn't to bash mm -hmm. ourselves, right? We're going to make it clear. The point is to share and showcase that this is not only my highlight reel. This is also reality in life. So we could start a whole new campaign. I, I love I, that. I have to tell you something. I think it would be so refreshing. First of all, the idea that we're only growing through wonderful things that are happening is nonsense. And because the real right. growth, unfortunately, comes through, you know, no pain, no gain. Yes. We know that in the gym. We know that on the physical level, we don't build muscle unless we tear tissue. But it would just also, I think, make people feel better when they, when they every time they go on, they, they're not just seeing some other success from other people. It just, you know, I used to call it fake book, not Facebook, because it's just... It's not real. Yeah. I know I would do that. I would love that. You know, you have to be careful. You don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to bury yourself, you know, by. Oh, listen, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure out all the details, but I think that the idea is wonderful. And I, I do think that there was a um, trend at one point where it was kind of like sharing and showcasing their, their bad days or their skin without any makeup on things like that. Um, but you know, it, it's very hard. You want to look your best. You want to feel your best and showcase yourself the best. You're certainly not going to go to an interview looking like you look when you're in your pajamas at home, right? So it's a, it's a fine line, but the idea is there. We'll, we'll fine tune it later. I, I would be very <laughs> – Not face tune. I would definitely be open to that, and I think it would take on. I don't know. What, what would you yeah, call it? Yeah. What would you call it? Just like having a bad day. <laughs> like, I mean – I'll think yeah. of a good one. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. Nope. No, it could be called no bad days. No bad days. Oh. Without without uh, challenges or something. Just failure dot com. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd gravitate towards that, but we'll figure it out. Just uh, invite all the yeah. losers. I'm just kidding. We're but we yeah, all yeah. you know that's no. part of the human condition. I want to thank you, Betty, for coming on. This was so yeah. great. This was such a great conversation. Um, anybody interested in getting more 
uh, inspiration and positivity from Betty Golko. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? G-U-L-K-O. Perfect. Okay. So she's got an amazing blog called suchabetty.com. And um, you can follow her on Instagram and um, keep doing the great work you're doing because you're uh, in your own very unique way. You're really spreading a lot of what I believe to be a fundamental Torah message um, of feeling good enough about ourselves to make a difference in the world and be connected to the higher part of ourselves as well. We didn't even get into that. But I think having that perspective that you're giving over really enables us to do that. Yes, thank you so much. I do want to just make a little oh, correction, please. if I may. Why did I mess up? Tell me. <laughs> no, my website is my name, BettyGolko.com. Oh, I didn't have that. It's I'll okay. Have to fire somebody. It's okay. My... Okay, B E T T Y G U L K O. dot com. So yes. it's BettyGolko. dot com. And what's the name of the blog? So. It's my mm -hmm. name on Instagram. My name, Betty okay. Golko, and I have my, my podcast as well as Chat with Betty. Chat with Betty. Okay, cool. Yes. My Such a Betty was my first kind of onset into this space, which was my editorial fashion business. So it, it's still up and running, but that's not my focus. Yeah, we got an old bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, like wait. Um, I want to just touch upon yeah. one oh, last please. thing, yeah. if I may. I know we're, we're getting close up to time here, but... Um, something that you mentioned right, right just now, um, which is the fact that we have like our low self-esteem and we just feel like we're not good enough. And something that I find is so, so beautiful is when we are focusing on ourselves, not in a selfish, greedy, you know, superficial way, but when we're focusing on ourself in all of the areas, working out, like you said, eating healthy reading books, learning, talking, meeting new people, engaging in interactive, healthy topics, all around wellness, that is when we can handle other obstacles like being jealous or whatnot or having the comparison. And mm -hmm. you will not be able to accomplish fully, and I know you mentioned briefly like in terms of our soul, but getting to your soul, getting there, without this first step because you're not going to feel right like you and you have to be you and it's perfectly beautifully you whether that be funky weird nails or whether that be pajamas it's okay but i think people are so afraid to be themselves and not hold on to this piece of i have to be a b c d or i have to mm -hmm. do or mm -hmm. say a b c d in order to be liked are valued, are followed, et cetera. I, I appreciate that, that comment. That, um, that was very insightful. It's almost like people were saying during COVID to make sure that you keep your immune system, you know, that you're eating healthily and you're working out so that if you get COVID, you'll be able to handle it a lot better because we can't prevent the negative circumstances of life from happening. They just, stuff happens, as they say. The question is, are you in a state of being spiritually, emotionally, psychologically that you can, you can handle it, you can deal with it? Because if you're in a compromised position and your immune system is compromised, then you can't fight it off. It's a great teaching and lesson. Exactly. And what's really special is if you have someone safe 
that you could communicate with. And I'm sure you have many people who feel very safe and comfortable with you. The beautifulness in that dynamic is for them to be able to practice. Because the first thing is that it feels so uncomfortable to say certain things, to use our words, because we just don't do it. We don't express ourselves in a clear, helpful way. So once you change and start building these new habits, then when the real, you know, real moment comes with the spouse, perhaps, right? With the sibling, perhaps, you are that much stronger mm-hmm. to handle it, hopefully, better. So, wow. Well, that's, by the way, a great plug for the community being involved in the Jewish community, <laughs> MGE, because you that's need right. other people and a chevra and a community to feel supported and loved to be able to actually deal with those situations in life. That was one of the great challenges during COVID when we were sort of cut off or our community, we were cut off from each other. We didn't have the wherewithal to deal with some of what was happening because we were, we were alone. So many people were alone. Our population was, was very alone in the city, 20s and 30s. Yeah. Um, not everybody's part of a family. And a lot, a lot of people right. are transitioned between the families they come from and the families are going to build one day. That population was very threatened with a lot of issues during um during covid um and uh, i i can't emphasize enough it's one of the things i'm most one of the most things things i'm most proud of at mg is that we have that caring and loving community for people to be part of um that it's amazing and it's so necessary no matter what but even the more so in a trying time like you mentioned um and, and i feel so passionate about your cause as well because it's even personal for me I know that I grew up with NCSY and it was my anchor if you would I was always on the Shabbatones and meeting and making new relationships and friendships and having this space where you felt like a fan NCSY by the way is called it stands for National Conference Synagogue Youth and it's actually how I got started was I was an advisor in NCSY and they do amazing amazing work we're basically NCSY for adults (laughs) exactly Love it. I can't yeah. wait to see you. Come to Amen. the next event. You are invited. Seriously, anytime. This is just <laughs> step one. And we got to get that other exactly. loser.com or post your failure here <laughs> or whatever it is. I think that would be awesome. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. So thank you Sorry. so much for having me, though. It was such an amazing conversation. And I really hope that it resonates with anyone who just is looking to kind of realize their potential and understand that even though you have hard times or maybe you have had hard times, it doesn't mean it stops. It doesn't mean it's over. There is always new opportunities and chance for regrowth. Amen. That was a great, perfect way to end this. Always new opportunities for regrowth. Thank you.